Welcome to Day 218 of Shape by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with Katie Kresge and Matthew Kresge. We continue our journey through the book of Mark, and we've really enjoyed our time in the Gospel of Mark, the portrait he gives us of Jesus. Uh, Mark has uh, developed his gospel around geographical locations. The early parts of Mark are in Galilee, where Jesus uh, becomes known for his teaching, for his signs, and for his wonders. And then it moves us along the road toward Jerusalem, where Jesus has intimate conversations with the discipleship about who he disciples, about who he is, and what it means to follow him. And then in chapter 11, he rides into the city of Jerusalem as a humble king. And there we see the tension mounting between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And of course, that tension comes to a head in chapter 12, which we are reading today. Uh, so as always, before we read, we offer ourselves and we offer this moment to the Lord. So Matt, you mind lifting us up in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do come before you and offer this moment to you, recognizing that you are with us, that you care, um, that you were involved in in our lives and in, 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 even in our, our reading of, of your word. Um, you've given us your word. You help us to understand it. And, and God, you cause us to to flourish um, in light of it and through it. And so would you um, transform us through your word as we read it together? Um, God, would you lift high your son and will we see him um, in marvel and worship? Um, God, do what, what you desire to do in us and through us as we read together. Uh, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he ran into the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruits of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck his man on the head, and they treated him shamefully. He sent still another one, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowds, and so they left him and went away. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no, ch no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. 
At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, and with all of your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dare ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, One of the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They've all given out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, all she had to live on. And what a nice end to an otherwise, uh, otherwise sad chapter as you see the conflict mounting and as you see people testing Jesus. Of course, you hear wonderful answers from Jesus. And you see one young man that seems almost sincere mm-hmm. as if he's very close to the kingdom of God. Uh, but otherwise, uh, this is a chapter that is uh, full of treachery. So what are some of the things that stand out as you guys read this chapter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parable of the tenants, just initially, you know, I, I wonder kind of what was going through their minds is they hear him teaching this and they're kind of waiting for the conclusion or what's to come and you know where is Jesus going with it? I mean Jesus is such a we see it in this chapter this one of the, I guess another thing that stands out is just how good of a teacher Jesus is and, and how he uses these stories or illustrations to reverse the situation and you don't expect what is coming but yeah. then it leaves everyone it's, the point is clear you know but the parable of the tenants I mean Jesus goes on they killed this man they killed this man and, and you even kind of see the relentlessness of the, the person who owns the vineyard, he sent, he sent, he sent, and then he did this. You know, finally he sends the son. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then he quotes scripture. Yeah. And, and just how shocking and, and how big of a reversal this would have been as they heard this. Yeah, of course, you know, Jesus is building on a famous passage out of Isaiah called the, you know, the Song of the Vineyard where 
you know, God says the same thing to Israel. Tell me what more could I have yeah. done for my vineyard? I planted choices of vines. I dug deep into the soil and cultivated it. I built the wall. I built the tower. Uh, tell me what more could I have done for you to bless you, to be your God, and yet uh, my vineyard has yielded only sour grapes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as they, they hear this, you know, they're, they're not only thinking about Isaiah, but they know that it's very pointedly, you know, talking, you know, about them, that, there's a lot of surely exaggeration in this, you know, from sending, you know, servants away. There's one they treated shamefully because they hit him on the head. <laughs> and then, you know, killing and, you know, and throwing the sun outside the vineyard. And, of course, this is a picture of how Israel treated the prophets and how mm-hmm. they would treat the sun outside of the city mm-hmm. left in mm-hmm. shame, you know, to hang, hang on the cross. And, of yeah. course, it is hitting way too close to home for them, and, the, and they're, they're feeling it. You get the feeling that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, um, all of these people who are um, coming against him are just feeling quite exposed because a lot of this is publicly, and and I feel like people, the people who are hearing it know that it's pointed. Do you feel like it's, like, they would know it's kind of obvious that it's pointed, or do you think it's hidden enough? Yeah, that's definitely, you know, that's definitely what they feel. Yeah, well, they, yeah. it says, the you know, they knew they had spoken yeah. the parable against them. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, yeah. and maybe they didn't know as it was pro- as it was progressing, they might have begun to get the sense of, oh, this is coming at us. Right. Yeah. So I was just thinking, you know, that feeling of exposure. We actually talked about it in our community group on, on Monday night, just... Um, that exposure of the light. So we were talking from from First John one, and um, how when we are exposed, I mean, if we are ready to be to confess our sins, if we are humble right. before Him, exposure is actually a really good thing. Um, but if we're if we're not humble, if we're full of pride, then exposure is well, it's humiliating for anyone. I feel like, but. Um, and these people were wanting to get revenge on Jesus. They weren't ready to be for that kind of exposure, and we see that reaction from them here. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, conviction of sin can lead us in two directions. It can lead us, you know, to humbly repenting and, mm-hmm. and uh, seeking forgiveness and restoration, or it can harden our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's certainly what is happening here: is the, their hearts are continuing to be more and more hardened. You know, as we. Uh, um, move toward the cross mm. and all that and of course you have these beautiful you know you have the um, beautiful passages uh, you know that are embedded in here here from uh, the Psalms the stone the builders rejected has mm-hmm. become a chief cornerstone and the Lord has, has done this a stone that nobody else would have chosen he has chosen and he has made it you know not only an important stone but the you know the stone mm-hmm. and uh, as they they hear this they realize that they're rejected and of course the the heart of you know the parable is a little bit ridiculous if we kill the son we will inherit mm-hmm. you know the vineyard yeah. and they may have for a short time inherited this you know the, this nation that had kind of been humbled and uh, was reduced to just a you know small part portion of what it had once been in all of its glory in the times of David and and Solomon but they would not ultimately receive God's inheritance. Mm-hmm. And so they're trading a moment for a future yeah. uh, when, they, when they look in that direction. What an interesting you know, kind of thing that Mark points us towards, too, just when you look at Jesus and he's making his way to you know, the cross, he said, that, but the, the amount of opposition and the groups of people that he's you know, now kind of enduring, you have the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the chief, mm-hmm. you know, chief priests, teachers of the law, the elders, 
I mean, all these people are, are finding, trying to find a way to trap Jesus. He knows he sees their hypocrisy, but you get the, you know, who do we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And then the marriage is the resurrection. And, and you have to love, especially in that second you know, story or question, you know, Jesus says, are you not in error because you, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? You know, you're, you're creating this hypothetical situation. You don't even know the scriptures or the power of God. Yeah. You're asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. And you're not reading the Bible well, and you're not uh, understanding who God is and exactly what God is capable of. And, of course, it's the Sadducees because they didn't believe in a resurrection, uh, and they were deeply invested, you know, in the, th- you know, in the, the present trappings of yep. power and the, the luxuries and the privileges, you know, that it gave them. And so you see that in verse 13. It said, later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians are probably a description of the Sadducees. In other words, they, they're really loving the status quo, even though Herod is not, not by any means you know, a Messiah figure or not by any means one who preserved the character and the heart of what Israel was supposed to be. He, he was one who conveniently you know, propped up their power and propped up their you know, position. So they love the status quo. And the Pharisees were looking for something better, but they were not seeing it in Jesus. Yeah. So both of them are unified, and you know, Jesus, you know, uh, the, the Herodians. But we don't really want a Messiah. We like the way things are. And the Pharisees, that's not the Messiah we we <laughs> want. And of course, that they <laughs> they bring politics yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect way to divide a group as you bring politics into it. You know, how do you feel about Caesar? And, uh, you know, Jesus says something that's very important for us to hear. Caesar has his due, but there's a far greater due, and that is what uh, we owe uh, in, our, in, our love, you know, in our love for him. Hmm. What, a, I mean, what a sharp, and of course, sharp a, critique. Yeah, I'll just say ahead. verse 19. You know, I love teacher. They said, Moses wrote for us. And then he comes to it and says in uh, verse 26, have you not read the book of Moses? <laughs> yeah, they start with, yes. it says in scripture, you know, Moses wrote for us. And he said, have you not even read the stuff that Moses wrote for you? Yes, this and is one of the saddest sections of scripture for me to know that <laughs> in the resurrection, we not marry or give, be given in marriage. Uh, marriage has been kind of pleasant for me. So I... Uh, <laughs> I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a little bit yeah. sad. Yeah, it is uh, interesting to think about. Cindy will probably be so near the throne and so far from me, I'll never <laughs> see her again. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thought to think about. I mean, because we we vow to, this is kind of a rabbit trail. We don't have to spend too much time on it because we're out of time almost. And we haven't even covered half the I chapter. I know. But yeah, it's interesting to think, like, because we, we hold marriage in such high esteem and probably to uh, more of an idol level in a, in a lot of ways. Um but like it's it's interesting to see Jesus' perspective on it, and um, that when we are resurrected, that um, our our spouse isn't going to be the object of our affection anymore. It's going to be our God, and um, but well, you, we get you to, work that out with with Matt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, of course, while we're here, the yeah. object of our affection should be the Lord as well. But um, I think in marriage, one a wonderful goal to have is to be striving for the Lord or or yeah. seeking the Lord together side by side. Yeah. And we do get to do that in heaven, I'm, I'm assuming, seeing side by side worship the throne, worship him. The worship leader. All right, right Matt, I'm going to hit really quick worship. the greatest commandment, and you hit really quick whose son is this okay. uh, as we close because these are important. And, of course, this is one of the, the warmest you know sections here because it seems that this particular you know, teacher of the law is really close to the kingdom of heaven. 
Uh, Jesus hears how he answers. He hears how Jesus answers and commends Jesus. Jesus hears how uh, he answers and, and commends him. And of course, this is the heart of the law, loving God with all of your heart and your neighbor as yourself. If, if you're applying the law any other way than by these two things, you are misapplying the law. And if these are your very heart, then as Jesus said, you're close. This is not ultimate. It's ultimate in understanding the law. But there's one more in a step, the step of faith and confidence in God's redemption. And so hit the sun real quick. Yeah, the sun. Yeah, they rightly saw that the Messiah would come from the son of David, you know, because he had the promise that God would, right. the covenant with David, that, you know, from his line, from his offspring would come the one who would sit on the throne forever. But what they missed is, you know, David saw that this this son would be far more than just, you know, a human offspring. Right. It would be <clears throat> the Lord himself who would come. And so the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies of the, you know, uh, under your feet. And we, we've been reading through Hebrews. And, and so we see the greater son has come from the line of David, from the offspring of David. But the Lord is Jesus himself. He is both David's son and David's Lord. Yeah. Father, thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a son of Abraham a son of uh, Jacob, a son of Isaac, of Judah, and of David. Uh, But we thank you more than anything else. You are the Son of God, who is our heart, our redemption, and our hope. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.